Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So let's get right down to business. Today I'm carrying on my little series. In fact, I'm going to conclude it called The Fear Factor. And uh, we've been talking about this thing called fear. Week one was the upside of fear. And I said there are some fears that are actually good to have. And of course, the most important one for us to have is the fear of the Lord. And it's in desperate short supply today. But if we would fear God, we would fear no other thing. That was week one. Week two was the enemy of faith. And I pointed out to you that the enemy of faith is actually not unbelief. It's actually fear because fear is the antithesis of faith. It is actually faith in reverse. See, faith is believing you will get what you desire, where fear is actually believing you're going to get what you dread. So that was week two. So today I'm going to talk about the insidious fear. Now, the word insidious, let me just define it for you because I think it'll help. The word insidious means subtle, gradual, sneaky, but leads to something harmful. So what can you think of that is gradual, subtle, sneaky, that leads to fear? And the answer would be worry. Worry is the insidious fear. We all worry at some point or another, and what we're going to discover today is that actually worry is the gateway to all fears. They be, sort of begins in, in worry. We have those things that get trapped in our head, and we start thinking about these things, and we have negative thoughts in our head, and of course it leads to anxieties, and it leads to fear, and we're going to talk all about that today. And unless we're dishonest, every single one of us knows that we all fear, and we all worry about something at at some point in our life. It's sort of part of the human condition. I don't know how many of you remember the movie uh, quite a few years ago called The Right Stuff. Do you remember this movie? And it was about the first astronauts in the Apollo mission, and they were picking these fearless men. And one of them, of course, was Chuck Yeager, you know, the test pilot who broke the sound barrier. And I'll never forget this. You know, sometimes you watch a movie and there's one line from the movie that sticks in your head. This was the one line. See, Chuck Yeager, he broke the sound barrier. He was, uh, you know, people thought you were going to die when that happened. He had no fear in his life. And there's reporter asks the actor, Sam Shepard, who was playing Chuck Yeager, he says, is there nothing in this world you fear? To which he said, only my wife. <laughs> it's funny how those things stick in your head. And there's medical terms for that, by the way. The fear of women is called gynophobia. The fear of marriage is called gamophobia. And the fear of your wife is called common sense. <laughs> My God, I could teach you that kind of stuff. And so today what we're going to do in the insidious fear, we're going to look at a very important passage on this. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. Here we go. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So take a wild stab at it. What do you think he's getting at? (laughs) What do you think Jesus is trying to tell us? Don't worry. worry? He's telling us not to worry. And of course, it's part of the human condition. We understand that. But he's saying, don't do it. It doesn't do you any good. And then he starts comparing us to birds and flowers and grass. He said, look, they're not worrying. Why are you worrying? (laughs) And let me tell you something really interesting that most people probably would not know. Do you know that the human species is the only species that does not, or sorry, that has the capacity of worrying? No other species, no other animal worries. Did you know that? I mean, I've never thought about that before, but I know birds don't worry because he just told me that. I know grass doesn't worry. You know, do you think the grass this summer was worrying that it was turning brown in the sun? No, that was you worrying about it, right? The grass didn't seem to care, didn't seem to mind, didn't seem to notice. But we have this capacity to worry, which the rest of the animal kingdom and the rest of the species on the planet, none of them have it. Now, I realize we're more complex creatures, but he says, look at these other creatures for something we can learn from them. So I'm going to tell you a little story today. This is kind of one of those what I did on my summer vacation stories. And it's all about worry. So what happened was we went down to the cottage like we do on our vacation. Kathy planted a garden. It's always the first thing she does. And as soon as it came up, a deer came by and ate the entire garden. I was planting trees, ate all my trees. And of course, we weren't very happy about the stupid deer doing this. And so then the deer disappeared and we thought it was gone. Kathy replanted her garden. And so now what happens is one day Kathy says, there's the deer. And it was swimming towards us, swimming towards the shore on the lake. And she says, make sure it doesn't get onto the property. So (laughs) as a dutiful husband, I went down to the shore and I tried to shoo the thing away and it just kept on coming. So then I started, no offense, I know know you're going to be offended with me, but I started throwing stuff at it. So I'm throwing sticks at it. I'm throwing stones at it. I'm not trying to hurt it. I'm just trying to chase it away. I just wanted to leave, just to go away. I'm throwing stuff at it. It just keeps on coming. It was on a mission. It was keep coming. I think, what is wrong with this stupid deer? Why is it not afraid of me? And it just kept on coming. And of course, most of you know this because you see deer all over the city now. They've become domesticated. They do not see us as a predator. They do not see us as a threat. I'm throwing stuff at it. And it just walks up on shore, looks at me, and just walks right by. I'm thinking, really? Really? And so I said, Kathy said, how'd you do with the deer? I said, not very good. It ignored me. It walked right by me like I wasn't a threat. So then I, I, I realized why it was so determined to get up onto our property. Because what it had done was it had birthed two fawns in the bush nearby. Now, this is a crazy thing, people. I did not know this. Do you know that a doe will give birth to a fawn or a pair of fawns and then leave? Just leaves them? Just derelict of duty? Just leaves them? Doesn't worry? about its own children? 
And apparently they don't have a scent. They're actually pretty safe there because the predators don't know that they're, they're there. And so the mother wanted to come back after however many days it had been gone to check on them, just see if they're still alive, wasn't worrying about them. And so then we had this pair of, of fawns grow up, males. I called them the twins. I named them Beavis and Butthead because they were so, such menaces. And they just ran around the property wreaking havoc, destroying everything, eating everything. And mom just ignored them. Wasn't worrying about what these animals were becoming teenagers in our midst. You've got to worry about your teens. It's a rule. But mom wasn't doing it. And then to add insult to injury, because we had that hot sun in, in, in July and it was, you know, 30 some degrees every day, mom decided to come every afternoon and lay right underneath our cottage and chew its cud. And it would just lie under there. Look at me. I'd say, go away. Go away. I hate you. Go away. And I'd throw stuff at it, throw my shoe at it. It wouldn't leave it. I'd chase it out. I thought, doesn't this deer, why is it not afraid of me? Doesn't it worry that I might kill it? Because that's what we used to do with deer, you know. And I think in this, I have a relationship with this deer like Elmer Fudd did with Bugs Bunny. Do you ever notice how Bugs Bunny wasn't afraid of Elmer Fudd? And I am realizing this story. I am Elmer Fudd. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting rabbits. <laughs> and I thought, this, this deer... And now, here's the thing about this deer. It, it can't know that it's not, it's not hunting season, so I can't shoot it. But the deer doesn't know that. Why isn't it worrying about that? Why isn't it worrying about the calendar? It doesn't have an iPhone. It doesn't have a calendar. It has no way of knowing what the date is. It has no way of knowing I might not shoot it. But for some reason... It doesn't worry about it. And every day, that stupid deer came back and went under my cottage. So eventually, I went and got ladders and two-by-fours. And I barricaded the whole, you know, because the cottage is raised off the ground, barricaded it. It looked like a complete junkyard all summer. And me being terrorized by this deer. And I thought to myself, that is the story that Jesus is telling us. Why are we so worried about everything? This deer went back to the same place it knew it wasn't supposed to be every day because it wasn't worrying that I was going to chase it out of there. And then I started reading Farside con- comics. Remember Farside? Gary Younger, and he always used to write about animals and humans interacting. They were so funny. And this is, this is one of his favorite. I'm going to show you. His is his most famous one. Bummer about the birthmark, Hal. <laughs> but that's actually not my favorite one. You have to think about this next one, black and white. He's trying to shoot me, all right. Do I know this guy? I've got to think. <laughs> He's always puts these human thoughts into these animals. Anyway, the point of all this is that Jesus compares us to the animals, to the plants. He says they don't worry. And then he says, this is my advice to you. Don't worry. And he doesn't actually tell us how not to worry. He just pretty much tells us to stop it. Stop doing it. Stop worrying about all these things. Not going to do you any good. Now... Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember, how many of you remember Bob Newhart? Y'all remember Bob Newhart? He used to play the psychologist. And there was a TV show called Mad TV. And they did a sketch with Bob Newhart where he was playing the psychologist. This woman came in with her phobia, with her worry, her fear. And uh, he said he can cure her for $5. And so he says, what's your worry? And she says, my worry is I worry that I'm going to be buried alive in a box. He says, I can cure you. He says, are you ready? I'm going to say to you two words. Two words and two words only. She says, should I write them down? He says, 
Most people can find they can remember them, but if it makes you feel any better, go ahead and write them out down. So then he, she pulls out this pen and patter, pen and pen and paper, and then he says to her, "Are you ready? Stop it!" <laughs> and he starts yelling at her for the whole skit. Stop it! And every time she says, "But but but stop it!" Did you not hear me? It's two words. You can't remember two words? Stop it! <laughs> He's just yelling at her, stop it. You can go look it up on YouTube. I, I'm not going to take the, it's four or five minutes long. You've got to go watch it. It's hilarious. It's Bob Newhart at his very, very best, yelling at this woman to stop it. And I'm thinking, I read this story of Jesus telling us about worry, and I feel like he's yelling at us and saying, stop it! Don't you feel like that a little bit? And it's funny to me that it was Mad Magazine that did this piece because you all remember Alfred E. Newman? Do you remember him? Do you remember his slogan? What? Me worry? And I, just for fun, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, they realized uh, later on in the 80s that Alfred E. Newman looked suspiciously like Barack Obama and they put him on the cover. <laughs> so here's what I want to do on this thing. Like, when we look at worry, and Jesus is telling us not to worry, there's some good reasons why he's telling us not to do it. Because as I said earlier, is that worry leads to all the other fears. And I'm going to show you the fear continuum here. And if you throw it up on the screen here, here's the fear continuum. You've got worry, you've got anxiety, and I'm calling it terror because they're all levels of fear, but I'm, it's full-blown. The terror is full-blown fear is what that is. That is all I mean by that. And so we're going to go through these one by one, and I'm going to explain to you how one leads to the other. So the first level of fear, the gateway to all fears, is actually worry. And the thing about worry is it's actually mental. It takes place in your mind. And you all know what I'm talking about. You have a situation that's coming up, and you begin to worry about it, and you have these thoughts that are rolling around in your head, and you start to imagine negative outcomes. See, that's the difference between fear and concern. See, we all have concerns every day. There's nothing wrong with thinking about things. That's how you solve problems, right? But when those concerns become negative and you start to imagine negative outcomes, and if you imagine worst case scenarios, then now you've actually moved into this thing called worry. And there's an example in scripture, and you all remember the story. It was when Jesus went over to Mary and Martha's house for lunch. And where was Mary? Do you remember where Mary was? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging out and have a grand old time. And her sister Martha was in the kitchen getting stuff ready. And Martha kind of loses it. And she kind of looks to me like she was bawling out Jesus. She said, don't, Jesus, don't you care that little Miss Muffet is sitting on her tuffet? Tell her to, to get her lazy butt in here and help me. And then Jesus, as far as I'm concerned, he patronizes her and says, Martha, Martha, you worry about so many things. And you know what? She was worrying about it, but he didn't think it was worth worrying about it. These were these petty things that end up leading to negative consequences. So there's a picture of worry in Scripture and how it works. Now, anxiety is the next level. See, what happens when we let worry take root in us? It moves from the mental phase to the visceral stage. Now, visceral means it has to do with what's on the inside, your nervous system. And so what we see is anxiety beginning to take root in us. And there's an example of that in Scripture. It's Daniel chapter 2. We have King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember he had the dream, couldn't remember the dream. And he said he was anxious of spirit because he didn't know what the dream was. 
Now, I want to point something out to you that's important. This is what they say, the people who study these things. They say that one of the big differences between worry and anxiety is when you're worrying, you're actually contemplating something specific, whereas once it moves down into the inner part of you, oftentimes you've lost sight of what it was you're worrying about. And anxiety becomes this general thing, and people are anxious, and they're nervous, and they're upset, and they're panicky, and they don't even know why. And King Nebuchadnezzar didn't even know why he was anxious. And then, of course, what happens if you allow those anxieties to carry on, they become full-blown fears that actually affect us in every way, even externally, and even in our body. When people are, like, attacked by a wild animal or in a wartime crisis or uh, in, you know, subject of terrorism or crime, that's the kind of terror that probably some of you experienced in this room. It's not just mental. It's not just visceral. It is your entire being. Everything about you is in this sense of terror. And the possibilities of us actually driving ourselves into that are very, very real. And so here's a little bit of a snapshot of how it moves from worry to anxiety to full-blown fear. So what it means is that we actually have to learn how to nip it in the butt. We have to get to it at the beginning and deal with those worries while they're still rather innocuous in our minds. Now I'm going to tell you a crazy, crazy little story, true story. Uh, it was about the Archbishop of Ireland. His name was Robert Trench. And he had this irrational fear, an ongoing kind of perpetual obsession or worry that someday he was going to go paralyzed in his legs. He had no reason to feel that or believe that. It just became this obsession. He'd be worried about it all the time. And he would wake up in the morning and check his legs to see if he could still feel them, to see if he could still walk. And it became so bad, so obsessive for him, that several times during the day, he would just go and check his legs and he would pinch them to see if he still had feeling. And he'd go, oh good, I'm not paralyzed. He had absolutely no reason for this fear or this worry, but it's what he did. So then what happens is he's at this formal dinner party one night, and as was his habit now, he reaches under the the table, and he pinches his leg, and he's got no feeling. So he pinches it harder, and he starts to completely freak out. And he thinks to himself, this is it. I've finally gone paralyzed. Just then, the woman sitting beside him turns to him and says, Reverend, would you kindly stop pinching my leg? (laughs) And see, this is what happens to us when we get caught up in worry. Worry leads us into this path of anxiety, and it's got no good ending to it. So I want to just throw up real quickly the things we worry about. And uh, you do a mental inventory when I throw these up on the screen. And you tell me whether these are kinds of things you worry about or not. So here's the top four things people worry about. Number one, money, health, family, job. How many are four for four? <laughs> a whole bunch of hands going up. And it's part of the human condition. These are the things we worry about. Now, Jerry Seinfeld, he has a completely different list. He says that human beings' number one worry is actually, and fear, is public speaking. He says their number two fear is death. And then he says, if you take that to its logical conclusion, if you were at a funeral, you'd be the rather be the one in the casket than the one who has to give the eulogy. (laughs) I sort of doubt that's true, but pretty funny. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about Jesus' three compelling reasons why not to 
worry, and we're going to land this thing, and I'm going to give you the strategy how to overcome worry. But we're going to take a moment. Here they are. Throw them up on the screen. Here's the insidious fear. These are the, the, the reasons, compelling reasons told, Jesus told us not to worry. Number one, worry does not accomplish anything. Number two, worrying about the future steals the joy of living today. And number three, worrying is a sign that we really don't trust God. So the first thing is this, is that worry doesn't actually accomplish anything. And Jesus tells us that. He says, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? I know some of you are reading that and going, do I even want a cubit? You know what? You probably don't want a cubit. Do you know what a cubit is? The cubit is the distance from your elbow to your forefinger. It's like a foot and a half. Can you imagine being a foot and a half taller? I'd be in the NBA. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be over seven and a half feet tall. So I'm looking at that and going, I don't actually want a cubit, but thank you very much. But that's not really his point. His point is that worry does not have the power to change anything, so why do we do it? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to, I'm going to give you worry by the numbers. Here are the things we worry about, and you tell me whether they're worth worrying about. So worry by the numbers. Here we are. 40% of all things we worry about will never come to pass. Impossible to come to pass is what I mean by that. 40% of what people worry about are stuff like being abducted by aliens or hit by a meteor. You know what? It's not going to happen. No point in worrying about it. 30% is stuff that's already happened. So there's no point in worrying. You realize this, right? What are you worrying about stuff that already happened? 12% criticism from others. Thanks. You know what? You can't change that. So why are you worrying about it? 10% is uh, related to your health, but we know that worry makes your health worse, so you might as well not worry about that. And there's only 8% of things that are actually worth worrying about. And see, here's what happens in our our life. We have maybe 8% of things that are worth worrying about. Hard to know which those 8% are. So the point is, you might as well not go through life worrying, because it's not really going to get you anywhere. It's not going to accomplish anything. And yet, for some reason, we get caught up in that trap of worrying about things that we can't do anything about, not going to change any outcome. Why do we do it? So, tell you a little story about this. So my, my mother phones me up this week. You love my mother's stories, don't you? You do know I love my mom, right? I do love her. And she's been such a great source of sermon illustrations. And so, anyway, my mother, fo- <laughs> my mother phones me up this week and she says, Mark, I'm worried about your brother. I say, why are you worried? So she tells me, I said, you know what? I talked to him this week. He's fine. You shouldn't worry about him. She says, well, I can't help it. I have to worry about him. I said, no, you don't have to worry about him. You're going to have to find something else to worry about. She said, I don't want to worry about anything else. I said, well, you're going to have to find something else because this is a pointless thing to worry about. So you're going to have to come up with something else to worry about. She says, I don't want to worry about something else. I said, well, good. I think we've solved this, haven't we? She says, you make it sound like worry is a choice. I said, actually, it is a choice. She says, you are such a pain. Why do I even call you? She says, don't you, don't you worry about anything, she says. I said, no, I'll tell you why I don't worry. Worry is sin. And if I'm going to sin, I'm going to do something a lot more fun than worry. (laughs) I don't know if you should be clapping about that, but (laughs) you're just egging me on. You know that, right? So you get my point. Worrying doesn't lead us anywhere. It doesn't produce anything productive. It has this super negative effect on us. And we actually can make a decision. Worry is actually a choice. I know people don't believe that, but it's absolutely true. So let me tell you the story of Michael. 
So Michael was one of these super optimistic guys. Everything was fantastic. And if you asked him how he was doing, he would always say, doing fantastic. If I was doing any better, it'd have to be twins. How many of you know this guy? You all know, you all know this guy. Just super optimistic, always in a good mood. And so one day his friend was annoyed by it and says, why do you always say that? Like, that really bugs me that you say that. He says, well, it's true. He says, I make a decision every single day when I wake up that I'm going to be in a good mood. And his friend said, you can't just make that decision. What if you're having a really bad day? He says, well, if I'm having a really bad day, it's a good thing because I already made a decision I was going to be in a good mood. And even if something bad happens, I'm going to look at that as a lesson I need to learn because the next day is going to be even better. And he says, it's just a decision I've made. His friend didn't get it, didn't believe it. So they parted ways, hadn't seen each other for a couple of years. And during this time, Michael actually, his job was he worked in the cell phone uh, communication tower business, and he climbed up on a a 60-foot tower, and he slipped and he fell from 60 feet. Now, remember, I said he was a super optimist, so I'm pretty sure by the time he was passing 30 feet, he was going, you know, so far, so good, you know, probably what he said. (laughs) But in fact, 60 feet is a long way to fall, and he fell, and he broke a bunch of bones, and he broke his back, and he broke his ribs, and he was just, he, he was very, 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 very fortunate. He did not die, and in fact, he actually ended up recovering. So then... Uh, about a year after that, he runs into the same guy that he hadn't seen for two years. And the guy says, Michael, how are you doing? He said, fantastic. If I was doing any better, I'd have to be twins. And I have the scars to prove it. <laughs> He's almost split in half. You get it. And uh, so then he tells him the story about falling off this tower. And what had happened, normally at 60 feet, you're dead, right? But through some miracle, he managed to survive. He was lying on the ground. He never lost consciousness. And he was lying on the ground. He knew he was really badly hurt. And he made a decision in that moment. He said, I'm going to decide to live and not to die. That's my decision. They got him into the the ambulance. They got him to the hospital. And when he got on the operating table, he could tell by the looks on everybody's faces that they knew or thought that he was dying and there was no other way it was going to be. And that made him concerned that their attitude was not as good as his attitude. Remember I said he was lucid the whole time. So they said to him, as, as they were about to inject him with some drugs, they said, are you allergic to anything? He said, yes, gravity. <laughs> and, they, they all, and they all started chuckling at this. And he says, now that I've got your attention, do me a favor. Operate on me like I'm going to live, not like I'm going to die. Boy, that's a big turning point, right? And so anyway, that's what they did. They operated on him like he was going to live, and he ended up living. He ended up recovering. He ended up getting back more or less to his regular normal life. But I don't want you to miss this that it was really a matter of the fact that worry is a choice, attitude is a choice, and we have to determine what we're going to do because Jesus said, if you worry, it's not going to amount to a hill of beans, so don't do it. So that's the first thing. Second thing is this. Second thing is that worrying about the future steals the joy from living today. Isn't that what he said? He said, do not worry about tomorrow. He says, tomorrow will worry about itself. He says, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Jesus cracks me up. He says, don't you have enough trouble today? (laughs) You shouldn't be worrying about tomorrow. And you know, it's absolutely true. What happens is that when we worry about the future, it actually has an ability. I, I like to put it this way. I think that worrying about the future actually paralyzes us. Fear paralyzes, worry paralyzes. When you begin to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, a lot of times you don't make the right decisions, the decisions you should do. 
And the perfect example of that, of course, is the story of the children of Israel when they, when they got to the promised land. They get to the promised land, and uh, the spies go in, and they come back, and they said, there are giants in the land. We are as grasshoppers in our own sight, and also in theirs. Now, let me ask you a question for that. How did they know they were grasshoppers in their sight? Remember, Pastor Tim talked about this a couple of weeks. Did they ask them? I mean, where did the grasshopper thing come? They said, so what are we like in your sight? Are we like squirrels, chipmunks, grasshoppers? I mean, where's this grasshopper thing came from? I don't know, you know, grasshopper, snatch this pebble from my hand. Remember, <laughs> that's Kung Fu. Remember that? Am I the only guy that remembers that? I'm the only guy, right? Two people. Well, way to go. All right. Anyway, but where'd the grasshopper thing come from? You know, it's just so out of sync with everything. I'll tell you where it came from. Their own imaginations. They imagined this. The giants didn't say, you guys are like grasshoppers. Go tell everybody. They came up with this. What they did was they got stifled by their own imagination and their own thoughts and their own worry, paralyzed them, and they did not go into the promised land. And what, what happens in our own lives, and you all know this is true, is a lot of times what we do is we go through life worrying about stuff and we make bad decisions because of the worry involved with that. So I got this interesting tale of a friend of mine. He, uh, he, has, he has this life goal. It's an ambitious, a bucket list thing. He's only got one thing on his bucket list and this is what he wants to do. He's, already, he's older than me, he's already retired. And uh, he bought a boat, 48 foot yacht in Florida and his uh, his goal for his life before he leaves this planet is he wants to pilot that boat from Florida the, to the Bahamas. It's only 90 miles. Honestly, it's not that big a deal in a 48-foot boat. But anyway, year after year, he goes down to Florida and he returns having not done it. And every year I see him and I run into him in the summer and I say, so how's it going? Did you get to the Bahamas? And every year he tells me why he didn't go. And every year he's got a different reason. I remember the first year, he didn't even get out of the harbor. He said, well, I was practicing docking the boat, and I smashed the, the, the boat, and I cracked the, cracked the hull, and had to get it fixed, so I couldn't take it anywhere. The next year, he says, well, the generator wasn't working properly. I didn't want to get out into the Atlantic and have the generator quick on me. Next year, it was the hydraulics. Ten years have gone by. He still hasn't gone to the Bahamas. So this year, I said, so, did you make it? He said, well, no, I didn't make it. He says, uh, I've got a big concern. I said, what's the big concern? He said, Pirates. I said, what? He said, pirates. They've got pirates in the Caribbean. I said, you know that's a movie, right? <laughs> I said, Captain Jack Sparrow's not real. You, you know that. He, no, he says, no, no, there's modern-day pirates now in the Caribbean, and they come up in a boat beside you looking all innocent, and then they board your boat, and they kill you, and they kill your wife, and they take all your stuff. And I said, really? So that's why you didn't go? Because of pirates? He said, yeah, well, he said, I, I, I came up with an idea. He said, I went to buy a gun. I said, you went to buy a gun? He said, yeah, I thought I'll go buy a handgun, and then if pirates come, I'll have a, I'll have a gun. And uh, he said, but then the problem was I went to the gun store, and they wouldn't sell me a gun. I said, really? They wouldn't sell you a gun in the States? I thought they, like, give them away when you open a bank account in the States. I, I, what do you mean you couldn't get a gun? He says they wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't sell me a gun because I'm a Canadian. <laughs> So it turns out, I guess we're really not supposed to have guns <laughs> for Canadians. Anyway, so he didn't get his gun. He didn't sail to the Bahamas because of pirates. And he told me this year, he said, I'm going to try it one more time. If I don't get to the Bahamas, I'm selling the stupid boat. And I thought, 10 years. And you see, one of the things that people express as regret in their life is this, is they say, when they get older, they look back at their life, 
and they realized they wished they had taken more risks and they had allowed worry. Even young people, you're probably, some of you in here, you're thinking, you know, you look back even three, four, five, ten years ago and you think, why didn't I make that decision? Why didn't I go for it? Why didn't I take that risk? It wouldn't have been in the end of the world, but I allowed worry to get a hold of me and grip me and I didn't do it because worry snagged me and dragged me down. And so the key in this is, is that Jesus just keeps on telling us, don't worry. And I'll tell you something sort of funny about this. This is the way my little brain thinks. He, he tells us in, in Matthew chapter 6 not to worry. He says, Do, don't worry, right? That's what he says, basically, over and over again. That's the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you remember how the Sermon on the Mount starts? It's in Matthew chapter 5 where he says, blessed be which is another term for be happy. So in other words, Jesus came up with the slogan, don't worry, be happy. Right? That's, that's the summation of the, of, of the Sermon on the Mount. You thought Bobby McFerrin wrote that song. It was Jesus wrote it. Bobby McFerrin just came up with the melody for it. You're not tracking with me, are you? Okay, let me tell you a different story here. So this businessman was really having trouble with his health. He was in bad shape. He had high blood pressure. He had ulcers. He was worrying himself sick to death. And uh, one day a friend came up to him and said, so Bob, how's your health? He said, fantastic. I'm doing great. Ulcers are gone. High blood pressure is gone. I've never felt better in my life. He says, well, what did you do? How did you deal with all the stress in your life? He says, I'll tell you what I did. I hired a professional warrior. A professional worrier, how does that work? He says, he just worries about everything and I don't have to worry. I live a stress-free life now. His friend said, wow, that's so cool. Like, how much does that cost? He said, $150,000 a year. He says, how do you pay for it? He says, I don't know. I let him worry about it. <laughs> so, the <laughs> so the last thing is this. So, so we, we know that worry doesn't accomplish anything. We know that worry steals tomorrow's joy and today's joy. And the last and the final is this, is worry is a sign that we don't really trust God. And see, what did, what did Jesus say as he was telling us not to worry? Right in the middle of it, he said, oh, you of little faith. He says, when we worry, what we are saying is that we don't actually have faith. I want to read a very famous passage to you. You all know it. It's Psalm 91, verse 1. This is what it says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Say trust. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He said, if you abide under the shadow of the Almighty, He will actually cause you and keep you and deliver you even from the perilous pestilence. Can anybody think of a perilous pestilence? Anyone? Does one come to mind? Can you think? Can anyone think of one? To think, think, think. Was there, has there been ever a perilous pestilence of late. Absolutely. And all we hear is fear. There's a pandemic of health going on, but there's an epidemic of faith. We just get bombarded with the negativity and this variant and that variant, and you're all going to die. That's basically what I'm hearing out there. And yet the scripture says that he who trusts in the Lord, he will deliver you from the perilous pestilence. And let me tell you what's happened in this last year and a half since this pandemic's been on. Do you know that the sales and prescriptions of anti-anxiety drugs have gone up 34%? $16 billion in anti-anxiety drugs just by themselves? And, and hey, catch this. Who sells, who sells anti-anxiety drugs? I'll name some companies. Pfizer, Moderna, 
These guys are making billions of dollars in vaccines and billions of dollars selling you anti-anxiety drugs. And then, if that weren't bad enough, the sale of illegal cannabis has gone up 100% in the same period of time. And let me tell you something about anti-anxiety drugs and cannabis. Medical science, and you can ask any doctor, that has proven that not one of those drugs has the power to cure anxiety. All it can do is dull your little brain so you don't think about it. It has no power to cure you. And yet we have this passage in scripture here that tells us that if we will trust in the Lord, he can deliver us from all of the terrors that fly by night and the arrows that fly by day. All right, I want, to, I want to land with one more passage here that's really important. Because Jesus didn't exactly, he told us to stop it. He told us to don't worry, be happy. But Paul actually gave us a more clear prescription on how to deal with uh, worry and anxiety. And here it is. It's in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, be anxious for nothing. Worry and anxiety. Be anxious for nothing but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You ready for this? Will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? He said, whatever your anxiety is, whatever your worry is, whatever that thing is that's rattling through your head and through your heart, he said, if you will deliver them up to God, says he says what? Cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. So if you will make your request known to him with thanksgiving, with supplication, he says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard not just the worries of your head, but the anxieties of your heart. It's a promise in scripture. And we can do it if we can just believe him. Now, I'm going to give you a little snapshot to leave you with that I know you'll all get. We have this corner in Winnipeg. Every single Winnipegger knows this corner. It's called Confusion Corner. And I want to show you a picture. You all know this sign. You've all seen that. You all know how to navigate uh, Confusion Corner because you grew up in Winnipeg. You know how to get around. If you're an immigrant, it took you six years, but you figured it out eventually. If you were a visitor to Winnipeg and you were going down Osborne and you saw this sign, you wouldn't have a hard clue what to do or how to navigate that corner. So much so that we named it Confusion Corner. You make the wrong turn, you're in trouble. You're going to get a ticket. Don't you dare make a left turn onto Cordon. You cannot do it. So, I decided to amend this just ever so slightly. Are you ready for this? Here's the confusion corner of our life. That's what it looks like. You stay going north, you will end up in the peace of God. You get focused on the peace of God. He said the peace of God will guard your hearts and guard your minds. You make a right turn, you're going off into worry. And you don't know if that's going to swirl back and end up in the anxiety of Corden or worse yet, the terror of South Pemina Highway. <laughs> and so I'm just painting this picture for you because I want you to understand that we have the ability to keep it straight. He has promised us that he will take our cares, take our worries, take our fears, take even the terrors that fly by night. He says that he will protect us and guard us. Why are we worrying? He has given us these promises, and every one of his promises are what? 
Yes and amen. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Every single thing you worry about, he has an answer for and a promise for. If you're worrying about your health, he has a promise. He said, by his stripes, you were healed. If you're worrying about your finances, it says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If you're worrying about your kids, it says they shall be brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and train them up in the way they shall go. And when they were old, they will not depart. If you're worrying about your marriage, God says, whom God has joined, let no man put asunder. He has promises for every single part of our life. For he has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And he who abides under the shadow of the Almighty, he will lead you into victory and he will carry you. For God has not given you this spirit of fear. For God says to you, he who is in Christ is in my hands no one will snatch you from me. If God be for me, who can be against? Greater is he who is in you who than he that is in the world. God is for you. Therefore, don't worry. Be happy. There is nothing to fear. You are free. You are free. Thank God Almighty. You are free at last. Let's stand together. All right, I got myself all worked up there. Sometimes happens. I want to take a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know in this room there may be people who have never invited Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. That is the way down this path that we talked about today. If you're online watching and you haven't invited Christ into your life, this is the beginning of the journey into the peace of God. He will guard your hearts and guard your minds. And so there's a little hand coming up on the screen. If you want to make that decision, you just click that hand. If you're in the room today, nobody's looking around, every eye is closed, every head is bowed. If you're here today and you have not made that definitive decision to invite Christ into your life, you haven't got him living within you, giving you that peace that surpasses all understanding. If that's you today and you've never experienced that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed... If today you want to make that decision, it's a choice. Just like everything else I talked about today, I want you to slip up your hand. Just take a moment, slip up your hand. When I see your hand, you can put it down again. Thank you at the back, the middle. Thank you on the side. All right, you can all put your hands down. We're all going to pray together because I think we all need a little bit more of the peace of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. Such an amazing thing that you took my sin took it out of the way and in its place you gave me your peace and not only did you die for me you rose again on the third day and you forever lived to be my Lord and this peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard my heart and my mind and I'll live free from anxiety fear and worry in Jesus name Amen. Let's give the Lord a shout today, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.